0: Are we going to try and maintain the illusion that these were not recorded back to back? And is that going to be possible?
1: Well, I think we should still do two episodes, but we'll, mm. they may well kind of be. may well be a two-part episode. That kind of it's going to be really hard to not talk about Mad Max now that we've seen Road Warrior.
0: Yeah, let's just not worry about it then. I think you should cut from one episode to the next in the middle of a sentence. <laughs> just, just hard cut from one to the other.
2: Bom, 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 bom,
0: bom, bom, bom. Getting a little echolocation tour of Dan's flat there.
1: Yeah. I am trying to think what that was from. I'm sure that was a uh, Jerry Anderson. Like Captain Scarlet or something like that. Oh, yeah.
0: That does seem familiar now, say it? Ah. Ah. So much
2: snot. Ba, 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 ba.
1: There's so da, much da, 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 snot.
2: Da. Oh dear There's no much not, there's no much not There's no much not I can't see either of you though
1: And we can see each other
2: fine God damn it Do you want me to just shut everything down aside? No, it?
1: it's, not, it's not worth the hassle Let's get recording
0: I agree Yep,
2: yeah, because right now I'm missing the wrath of calm God! We've just got to the prefix code bit With That handy, turn off all your shields button Yeah
0: Evidently, I don't know that film well enough.
2: Scotty had dramatically opened the turbo lift door, clutching the body of his dead cadet. And Uhura gave
1: a (gasps) Anyway, we're not here to talk about Star Trek. What are we here to talk about? Well, that's a good question. Why don't you join us after the theme tune and find out? And welcome to this week's episode of Remedial Nerding, the podcast where three nerds force each other to watch something that they really should have already seen. Your friendly neighbourhood nerds this week are Nathan, Dan, and me, Paul. Remember, there's no such thing as a bad nerd.
2: I was actually waiting for the theme tune to kick in there. Yeah, we're just going to sit
0: around <laughs> for the amount of time it takes for the theme tune to play so Paul can just layer it straight in.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 22 of Remedial Nerding. Bit of a change of tack this week. We're going away from science fiction and more to science fiction, maybe? We're off to the Australian Outback for Mad Max. Science faction. Well, that was only on the basis that I, I think this is actually a documentary of Australia in the 1970s oil crisis, rather than any kind of work of fiction.
0: I actually thought I was watching the wrong film for quite a long time. <laughs>
1: I didn't really know what I was watching for quite a long time.
0: Well, because I was fairly confident that Mad Max was a post-apocalyptic film. But as you say, this just appears to be Australia in 1978.
1: So last week, we recorded with Dan and Nathan in the same location. This time when we watched Mad Max, it was me and Dan in the same location. And I remember, I remember talking to Dan about what was happening on the film more than I remember the film.
2: Yeah, it's, it's
1: one that is definitely a sit and go do you know what's going on it's about an hour and a quarter of not very much happening and then sort of 15 20 minutes of a lot of stuff happening
2: oh just like batman versus superman
1: that's not what we're here to talk about <laughs> i
0: had a lot of questions like here in my notes one of the questions was axe attack colon did they know that guy <laughs> why did that happen who were the other people involved except for toe i recognized him I think part of the problem is that a lot of people look quite similar in this. They all look kind of 70s. <laughs> they
2: all look 70s?
0: Yeah, I. this is the problem because it's been, what, 36 years? I can't distinguish between what was meant to be crazy future science fiction fashion and what An was just what people 70s. were normally wearing, yeah. yeah. Similarly, <laughs> the safety standard seemed incredibly lax, but was that just the 1970s? It was kind of lurid and sexual and violent, but was that just the 1970s? Most people seem to be on cocaine most of the time, but was that just the 1970s?
1: <laughs> I guess we'll never know.
0: And as we watch the second film, or have already watched it.
1: As it goes, was it a good film? Well, I quite enjoyed it, and I can see why it was so profitable. But the, And it reminded me a lot of other things. I remember saying to you, Dan, there's a bit of a vibe about it that reminded me of The Warriors. Yeah. Another sort of 1970s film. But there was a hell of a lot of nothing going on.
2: But then there is a hell of a lot of nothing in Australia. True. But we do have to remember, this is essentially, I suppose at the time, quite a a modestly budgeted indie film. Is it 400,000 Australian dollars?
1: Yeah, and it made 100 million US in the box office. That's just insane.
0: I do not understand why, because in my opinion, this is an awful film. (laughs) It's very unclear what's happening most of the time. No one has any motivations to speak of. The
2: film does just pick you up and literally drop you in Outback Australia.
1: And it's just like, yeah, um, work it out for yourself. That whole first chase scene, you just haven't got a fucking clue what's going on.
0: (laughs) This is strangely enough, I was thinking about this. The only person in the film who has a goal and works towards it, as opposed to just reacting to whatever's happened is that guy who's being chased in the first chase scene.
1: <laughs> who I
0: think his name is um, the Night Rider.
1: The Night Rider, yeah, yeah. Rider, yeah.
0: And his motivation is, I really want to get in a car chase. <laughs> so I'm going to steal a car and drive it as fast as I can until someone chases me.
1: Until I have a near miss, at which point I attempt to soil myself and drive into something else and blow myself up.
0: Yeah, we- drive into a giant pile of red barrels.
1: Crazy, bog-eyed special effects. So she's got a rubber mask and inflated it.
2: Those horrified eyes. That was the best practical
1: effect in the entire film. Reused at the end of the film as well. Yeah,
0: I thought I thought you would like that.
1: I was half expecting to see a couple of guys stacking crates of chickens at the side of the road and <laughs> a big stack of watermelons. <laughs> they did go through a caravan. Carrying a plate glass window across
0: the yeah, back. Yeah, two, two people on a big sheet of glass. Maybe a rack for carrying suits on or something.
1: Maybe I've just seen Wayne's
2: World too many times. <laughs> the caravan was that for me. You knew the caravan was getting it
1: as soon as you saw it. I don't know why I knew it, but I knew that Max was mad because someone had killed his family. Yeah. So I was quite surprised when they went off on holiday. I thought, oh, this is a bit strange. This yeah. Is a bit of a change of uh, change of pace.
0: Well, see, this is the odd thing, because as soon as I saw them, I'm like, okay, so these two are going to get killed at some point, because they're in that proud tradition of women in cinema. They exist to get murdered to make the male characters more interesting. <laughs> But in this film, it takes about 85 minutes for that to happen.
2: The story of Mad Max has already seeped into the collective consciousness of society. We know Mad Max loses his family and goes and has a bit of a murderous rampage. But I, having not seen this first one, really wasn't sure that uh, that should happen at the beginning of the movie, maybe? No, that, that seems to be where that should not... Here's a day in the life of a road cop in 19, uh, 1979 Australia oil crisis that's having a bit of a mental breakdown because his wife's worried it's getting too dangerous.
0: Actually, another on my list of why did they do that is, do you, did either of you follow what their plan for the car chase was other than just chase that car until it drives into a pile of red barrels? Because <laughs> they didn't have like helicopters or tyre bursters or a plan for where they were going...
2: They were just chasing him down.
0: Yeah. At one point they said, like, oh, he's going towards a town, that's bad, but then didn't do anything about it.
2: They don't explain the structure of the world at all to the point where it's just like, yeah, these guys in the blue and yellow cars, they could be the police, they could be just a gang that's decided to take up the role of the police, they could just be assholes
1: in cars. It was about halfway through when I worked out that they were the police and not just a vigilante gang.
2: Yeah. I think that was only made clear when he turned his badge in. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They're just hanging out in the halls of justice, which is so dilapidated that you're like, I'm pretty sure they just wanted it for the architecture.
0: I'd make a list of some of the things I noticed about the world, which will lead me to a single conclusion. Uh, Oil is, if not plentiful, then at least enough of it that there are trucks driving around full of it. Yeah. Uh, Car parts are being made, you can buy them new. Corporations exist because people care what brand their tyres are. Uh, No one seems to be doing any farming and no one is living in the hollowed out body of an 8080. (laughs) (laughs) So basically what I'm saying is that the first third of The Force Awakens is more post-apocalyptic than this film is. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a further list of things that are more post-apocalyptic than the first Mad Max film. Go for it. Well, I started out with the obvious ones, so you got your Fallouts and your Walking Deads. Yep. Uh, Then Aliens 3. Yeah. Then Aliens 2, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, Anglo-Saxon poetry was the next thing on my list. (laughs) You may be thinking, I don't know any Anglo-Saxon poetry, but that's not true because Tolkien was a professor of Anglo-Saxon poetry and put a load of it in The Lord of the Rings. (laughs) So any part, there's a particularly sad poem about how the world has come to its end and all civilization must go into the West. That's the Anglo-Saxon speaking. <laughs> uh, Firefly, in parts, was more post-apocalyptic than Mad Max. <laughs> the parts where they're saying, oh, we don't have enough parts to repair the ship and everything's in terminal decline. And also, my last bullet point was the actual literal 1970s. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we already mentioned the oil crisis, but in Britain we also had, what, the three-day week? So electricity only available three days a week. Yeah. For that matter, we had um, what was basically an undeclared civil war in Northern Ireland at the time, like Bloody Monday was, uh, Bloody Sunday was in the 70s.
2: I see, they make the 70s sound like such a good time. No, wait, that's the 60s and the 80s. <laughs> yeah,
1: about the only good thing for the 70s was disco. Well, that's debatable.
0: Like, I'm sure it wasn't as bad as it, we remember it, but still.
2: <laughs> what, Point disco is, or the 70s in general? <laughs>
0: The point is, had it not been for a giant title screen saying Mad Max and the fact that Mel Gibson is in it, I would not have been confident I was watching the right film.
2: The then, as of yet, undiscovered Mel Gibson.
0: Indeed, yeah. According to uh, Wikipedia, which so I don't know if it's true or not, he didn't actually intend to audition for the role, he was just giving someone a lift to the auditions.
2: (laughs) (laughs) If that's not true, it is still the greatest story.
0: Yeah. Well, the story goes that he'd actually like, um, I think, he'd been in like an accident or a fight or something previously. So, turned up covered in like bruises and with a big swollen eye,
2: a bit scuffed up, and they're like, "Yeah, and yes. they said,
0: do you want to audition for one of the like um, biker gang be- people, basically?" Yes, okay, but I'll come back next week when I've had a haircut and a shave.
1: <laughs> so Interestingly, I've just I'm looking at um, like the influence of Mad Max, and it was cited as one of the major inspirations behind the fallout series without getting ahead of myself too much especially the dog the dog meat was inspired by the dog from mad max 2
0: not from this film though yeah mad Mad max 2 yeah
1: we'll talk about that next week yeah i always thought that
2: fallout and the dog was based on came from the the book wasn't it Uh, a boy and his dog wasn't that something that they were citing as the big influence for fallout
0: I wouldn't have thought so because, well, maybe that was, yeah. There is it is, is post apocalyptic
2: wasteland and one boy and his dog wandering the wastes.
0: Well, yes, except that the dog is psychic.
2: <laughs> you don't know that dog meat is not psychic.
0: Well, I suppose that's true. <laughs> he does seem to appear out of nowhere when you've left him behind for quite a long time.
2: <laughs> exactly.
0: A boy and his dog is a lot weirder than the title implies.
2: Put it on the list.
0: Let's not. <laughs> If you want to hear a podcast about a boy and his dog, I can recommend one to you. It is from a series called Fight the Future. I think it's on YouTube, so you can just search for it if you like.
1: So then, Nathan, marks out of ten for this film.
0: Zero. I would not hesitate to say it is is goes on the same list with me with Signs. Another Mel Gibson film. <laughs>
1: another Mel Gibson film,
0: yeah. In that and in fact the Wicker Man, I'll say. In fact, I'm going to put it at a rank lower than The Wicker Man, because that at least was creepy and interesting.
2: I've not seen The Wicker Man. <laughs> no,
0: I've well, not
1: seen The Wicker Man either.
2: Are you judging it on today's movie standards, or is that a judgment on 1970s Australian independent cinema standards?
0: I have to admit, I'm not a big fan of 1970s independent film from Australia. <laughs> or maybe I am, I just don't know that most of my favourite films are, fall into that category. <laughs> I base that on the fact that those three films I named are all ones where I came out of it at the end saying, well, I wish I'd done something else with my last 95 to 123 minutes.
1: (laughs) So I'd rate it probably about a seven. However, when I thought, oh, maybe I should watch it again before recording, I then thought, oh God, no, I can't do that to myself. Yeah, (laughs) I think that was the
2: discussion we had while watching it of what would we rate it. And when you look at it in context, it's like, yeah, that's a seven. Maybe an eight at a big push. Now, when you look at some of the effects that they had, and considering it's such a low budget, yeah, we'll give it a seven, eight on that scale. And then, like I say, you go to go, Do I rewatch it? You go, I don't know, I can't bring myself to do it.
0: So you're kind of going for fair to moderate, but impressive when you consider what they had to work with.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I just came out of it not liking anyone. (laughs) <laughs> and not being glad that anything in it had happened. didn't really feel it had told me anything about anything. No. I came up with a personal theory of mine, which is that uh, Toe Cutter, who is the main antagonist, the biker guy, my theory is that he is a werewolf. And the re- reason I say that is that if he is a shape-shif- shapeshifting form of malevolence who exists for no reason than to cause people suffering, then at least he'll have some reason for doing any of the things he does.
2: Other than just being an arsehole.
0: yeah. I mean, as it is, he seems to be like actively choosing to make life hard for himself in order to cause Max problems. I don't know if that's so that we feel slightly better when Max turns into the Jigsaw Killer at the end of the film.
1: <laughs> I, I was going to say, it did have a little bit of Saw vibe at the end.
0: Yeah, it's, something, it's the same scene that happens in Saw, and it also happens in Watchmen. I don't know if it's in the film version, but in the book at least. Rorschach does it to someone.
1: Uh, no, it's in the book, but not the film. Yeah, so I've not read the book, but I have
2: seen the film, and I don't remember that scene being
1: in the film. Oh, I love Rorschach. He's all kinds of messed up.
2: <laughs> it's all your favourite kinds of messed up.
0: Oh, hang on. Here's something in my list we hadn't talked about. Which is, was the sound incredibly weird for you two? Or was I just watching an odd odd version?
1: Um, I can't remember. We watched no, the same no. version as you, though. The sound was okay.
0: I, see, I was watching it with headphones on a phone, whereas you two were presumably watching it on a TV on a sofa.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: So I think I had more... Get that TV off the sofa.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I had more opportunity to say things like, why are they walking downstairs and there's no stair sounds? <laughs> <laughs> why is the Outback completely silent? Why does everyone's line not quite match their mouth movements?
1: Ah, well, there's a reason for that, though, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, I think I... Yeah, they, they redubbed it because the Americans couldn't understand the Australian accents, so they redubbed it with American accents.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. When we watched the second film, suddenly everyone's 100% more Australian.
1: <laughs> in fact, I do remember saying to you, Dan, about there being slight desync with the yeah. the voice, and we weren't sure if that was I think we actually uh, a codec a issue, fight, didn't we? or whether or not it was the dubbing.
0: Yeah, I just found that quite distracting. It reminded me, in a way, of The Good, The Bad and The Ugly and other westerns like it, but they were all filmed... Well, I thought they were filmed in Italian, but apparently they were just filmed in whatever the language of the actor was. So, like, some right. scenes were entirely in Italian, some scenes were in a mix of Italian and English. And then they recorded separate Italian and English tracks, and just dubbed the whole film in both cases. But that's Clint Eastwood, who barely opens his mouth when he speaks, so it's less noticeable.
1: Car. <laughs> hey, Yes, strong bad reference in.
2: Ah, Homestar
0: Weirdly enough, there is a strong pet reference on my notes for part (laughs) 2
2: So, in summary Mad Max not the great cult classic that it's been made out to be more of a kind of shitty documentary about an oil crisis
0: No, I wouldn't say a documentary I would say it's like a pilot episode is what it feels like to me Where they haven't quite figured out what the format is, but it's good enough to get someone interested. Or in this case, it's good enough to make $100 million, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe
2: there was just nothing else like it at the time. Maybe we've we've just been spoiled by movie and that post-apocalyptic trope.
0: I did wonder that slightly.
2: If cinema was full of happy stories, that this coming out as a shit's gone bad and we're running out of petrol. And people are killing each other in motorcycle wars. Now, I can see that selling.
0: Well, I don't know, because you already mentioned The Boy and His Dog. That was like five years earlier. Um, when did Quadrophenia come out? Because I almost forgot that. How many, America-
2: f- how many Americans read The Boy and His Dog?
0: <laughs> I thought it was a film as well. Maybe not. Yeah, Quadrophenia was the same year, but I guess that could be before or after.
2: I'm, I'm guessing that maybe not a lot of Americans watch that. It's a very British movie.
0: But yeah, I did wonder about whether or not we've been spoiled by on like the stunts front. Mm. Because there's a scene where I actually made a note of it, because he extremely obviously drives over a ramp and flips the car. <laughs> and it's the kind of the Wilhelm scream of car stunts.
2: The one where you see the ramp as two cars drive past it, and then the third car hits it.
0: Mm. So yeah, if I didn't already recognise that when I saw it, maybe I'd be more impressed by the car fights.
2: It was that cool bit where the guy had his hand ripped off by the car and then they came to get his hand back and then the old woman locked the gang of armed murderers and rapists in the shed. And that was a bit of high action and drama.
0: When she's um, threatening them with the the farm shotgun, I guess it is, (laughs) Tellcutter himself actually says, Oh, I hate guns, but in such a high camp way that I couldn't tell if he was sarcastically (laughs) mocking her or not. But then he does get in the shed, so maybe he was being sincere, I don't know. Anyway, maybe we should mash the big button and proceed to Mad Max 2.
2: Can, can we can we talk about his family's death before we go?
0: Oh, what, they got run over?
2: Yeah. One, she gets out the car. Two, she runs down
1: the road. What, rather than into the Bondi. Yep.
0: Hey guys, I don't know if you've ever seen a film called Prometheus. <laughs> but I heard there's this scene in it. Yeah, I I did say... Well, part of me was saying, why don't you go sideways, miss? And part of me was saying, oh, so we finally got to killing the family then.
2: <laughs> We've reached that point.
0: I think I I got off the train of this film extremely early on when there's a kid playing in the road and, you know, intercepted cut with vehicles piling down on it at a high speed. At which point I when went, oh, I see what you're trying to do, film. No, I refuse. <laughs>
2: As far as death scenes from brutally murdering children go, that it wasn't that bad.
1: Well, the fact that it all happened off screen.
2: Yeah, and you just saw this shoe and a ball or something, wasn't it? a toy come onto the screen. It was a ball that rolled down the road. And how quickly did Max catch up to the broken
1: down truck on foot? Yeah, it didn't take him long.
0: Well, I assume some of that's artistic timing.
1: <laughs> True, it's running at the speed of plot.
0: I will say that's one of the parts that I did actually think was well-crafted. Which may sound odd, given that I've spent most of this podcast talking about how I didn't follow what was happening and was angry and upset about the movie. But they do a lot of that shots from an extremely low angle over the road, which makes it really dominate the scene in a way that an empty road in the desert wouldn't normally dominate.
1: Emphasis on the road. I see, apparently, according to Wikipedia again, the, uh, the whole bit at the end with the chain and there's the hacksaw, that, that inspired the whole Saw series definitely has infused social consciousness, whether we know it or not. Well, we did say when we set out to start this podcast, it doesn't necessarily have to be good stuff, just important stuff. Yeah. And for the looks of it, I can see why Mad Max was important, even, yeah. if, even if we don't think it's a particularly good film.
0: Is it fair to say that our recommendation would be don't watch Mad Max, just watch the first four minutes of Mad Max 2? Then rewind and start Mad Max 2 properly. <laughs>
1: I don't know. I guess we'll have to go and watch Mad Max 2 and find out.
0: Yes, let's do that now.
1: That's it for this week, peeps. Tune in next time for more remedial nerding.